Um, I'm going to try and lift this table. Not that it's heavy, it's just I'm scared of sending everything flying. So. Yeah, just look the other way while I get myself set up here for a wee minute. We all doing okay? Yeah? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Thank you, Alison. <laughs> I will put the glass here. I think that would be a really good idea. I was going to try, and Jason's got this wee fancy thing for putting your iPad and all on. I'm like, I'm not chancing that. Um, I'm going to use this, because this is more secure and less likely to, to fall over and distract the whole thing before I even get started. Um, <clears throat> I used to not like September, right? And any of you here, you've probably heard me giving off about it before, but I've come to like September. Um, and this September, I mean, we all three of our boys are heading off this year in September. And I'll be honest, I adore them so much. I love my boys with my whole, whole heart. But I cannot wait to next weekend. And uh, they're not here, but I don't mind. I've told them. I'm not saying anything behind their backs that I have not said to their faces. But I am really looking forward to next Sunday night whenever um, the house is a wee bit quieter and there's definitely be more food in the fridge and hopefully not as much laundry in the utility room. And uh, life will hopefully, I'm hope, see, maybe I'm just in a total false sense of security. Maybe I think I'm going to turn into this super organized person when I don't have three sons to look after every single day. So um, maybe it's me who's in for a huge shock when we get to the Wednesday of the first week and the house is just still the same because he's very untidy. <laughs> Aren't you? Yeah, he is. Um, hands up who knew the baby shark song that Cheryl was talking about? Yeah, about half the room. Jason was sitting looking at me like going, what is that? going you see you're not as up to date as you think you are darling i knew it was a baby shark song <clears throat> um who have been who have you've been here over the summer in the last month and you've been enjoying our series on the table i really have i have loved that i i've loved our conversation around um the table through the eyes of jesus really and through the eyes of scripture but um i absolutely love hospitality and hospitality is one of my love languages. Now, I know officially it's not one of the official love languages. It's really funny, just on a side note, do you know the, the book Love Languages? Hands up if you've read it. <clears throat> I have a confession. I have never read it, but I recommend it to everybody. <laughs> everybody tells me how wonderful it is, and I'm like, that sounds like a really good book. I'm going to recommend that to people. But I've never actually read it myself. So the truth is, hospitality may be in there, and I just don't know, but I don't think it's one of the official ones that's um, in there um, in the love language book. But when Jason and I were first married, um, we lived in this tiny wee house in Korean, right? And we had 99p wallpaper. I was so happy that day I found the wallpaper for 99p a roll. I was delighted. Um, we had a really wobbly floor so that if you walked across the floor in the wee back room, that literally the whole thing moved. And we, had a, we have a wee old cabinet that we still have and you could hear the glasses clink, clink, clinking inside because the, the floor was so wobbly. Um, if we lit the fire in the wee back room, it made the water brown. It was such a great wee house. Um, but I absolutely, I absolutely loved that wee home, our first wee house. And um, we had a, a small, tiny, tiny kitchen that you could hardly get two of us in with a second-hand cooker. Really proud of that because we sold it again for more than we paid for it. Happy days. So we've got an enterprise going on back in the 90s. Um, but in our first year of marriage, I would say we had people around for dinner two or three nights a week, didn't we? 
I felt like we spent more money on groceries than we actually had to spend. But we just loved having people under our way home. I mean, I'd say 99p wallpaper. It was far from, you know, living, etc., or good housekeeping, or whatever you call those magazines. But it was our wee home, and we were just so excited to have a space and a place that we could invite our friends into, and people that maybe had blessed us when we were going out together and, and had us for dinner, and we could have them back. And it was just such an exciting time. And I look back on that year and those early years with so much fondness, because and it's but it's not the you know it's not the I can't remember what I made. In fact, I was thinking about this the other day when I was writing this. I thought, what did I cook people? I know I had one pasta dish, but I think I probably cooked that to everybody for the first six months. <laughs> everybody got it, and I kept trying to remember, oh, yeah, they got that before. Maybe I should try something different. That's probably when I started adding extra recipes to my repertoire is when we, we invited the same people back again. And, you know, most of the nights I remember us sitting in that wee back room with a wobbly floor, and we never left that table. We never made it into the wee sitting room. Um, in the front or anything like that there. We just sat around the table to the early hours of the morning chatting and sharing life and having a laugh and, and just creating community in, in a very simple way. And each home we've had since, the Bush is our fourth family home that we've had. For me, it is always centered around our table and it's always centered around the kitchen and it's centered around that part of our home where we would welcome people in. Um, I even have a, a hashtag on Instagram so glad my boys aren't here this morning because they get so embarrassed with us. Anytime I take a photograph of us eating, they're going, suppose this is going to be my table again, mum. I'm like, yeah, because this is my thing. I, I just love gathering around my table. I love it. I love it. I love what happens there. I love that my table is a place where we celebrate, where we have cried, where we have argued more times than I'd like to confess, where we have listened to each other, where we have spoke out our deepest fears and our wildest dreams. All those things have happened round our table. And it's the place where our family gathers. And those are my favorite moments, when I can gather them all, even though I'm saying about looking rid of them next week and all that there. It's not really true. Because I love it most of all when we gather, when my family gather round our table. But it's also a place where friends are invited and where guests are welcomed. It's this place that is so special and so much part of, of our heart, of my heart, and so much part of our family and our home. <clears throat> and over the years for me, and I'm going to speak very honestly about this, is not for Jason and my boys, but for me, you know, my home has become more of a shelter and a fortress than an open space for all. And, you know, there's many reasons for that. There's many reasons and there's many seasons in life but, you know, when I look back in recent times, none of them were valid enough reasons, really, for me to keep my house closed and for it to become a fortress. Because over the past few weeks, as Jason has taken us through this series and as we've looked at Scripture, what I see is open homes and open lives. That's what I see. And here's what I've discovered as I have allowed my doors to stay closed for too long. Confessions of a pastor is that my soul has grown cracked and dry as a result of not having an open space and an open life. And the practice of hospitality brings life to me in a way that I don't think anything else actually does. 
And it's absolutely essential for my soul to flourish. And here's what I know. I'm not that special. That actually there's more in common with us than humanity than there is differences, isn't there? So my guess is that if that does, if hospitality and openness and open space and open lives and shared lives around the table, if that does that to my soul, my guess is that it'll do the same for yours. See, it's not just a selfless thing. It's actually a selfish thing. It's completely two-way. So for the past year or so, as Jason has said, we've been talking about recentering our home and our lives around the table again. And as we began to talk about it among ourselves, the Holy Spirit joined the conversation. And when the Holy Spirit joined the conversation, he made it feel more urgent and more non-negotiable. Do you ever find that? Excuse me. You're having a conversation with, and then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit joins and it's like everything gets turned up. Everything gets amplified. The urgency the sense of absoluteness of the thing just gets turned up whenever he enters the conversation. And over the past few months, we've began this practice again intentionally. And I'll, I, I'm honestly, I'm not trying to sell you something this morning, but honestly, it is beginning to change my life from the deepest places. I'm beginning to feel my soul healed in places I didn't even know it hurt. And I'm beginning to feel alive again in places I didn't, didn't even know had began to become dry and cracked. And it's been so good for me to hear this series of how Jesus centered his life and the lives of his disciples and ministry around tables. It's like my heart has always known it, but my head is finally catching up. Have you ever been there? It's like you hear something and you think, oh, that's it. That's what I've been feeling for years. That's what I've been knowing for years, but I could never articulate it like that. I could never say it like that. And all of a sudden you hear the words and it's like your mind catches up with what your heart has always known. So this morning, I want us to get really super practical on the how, and I want us to start with one of my favorite passages of scripture. If you would turn with me to Acts 2, a very familiar passage that we have shared already in this series, but I really want us to look at it again this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's some Bibles up here at the front, please come grab one. Don't be embarrassed. If you don't have one at home, please take it with you. These are our gift to you. Does anyone need one? I could start, I don't know, we not start throwing them out because I'm not a very good aim. I could take somebody's eye out, very possibly. You saw me with a glass. Acts 2, verse 42 to 47, says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thank you for your word, Father. Thank you for your word. 
This text gives us a beautiful snapshot of a life of the early church. Um, and, and this picture of church for me, as I read these verses in Acts 2, this same picture of church for me is utterly compelling. It might be from 2,000 years ago when culture and daily life was very, very different in a million different ways from how it is today. I mean, how the early church would have lived their lives and went around their lives 2,000 years ago is completely different in how you and I will get up tomorrow morning and go about our lives here in, in 2018. And yet, in this passage, we see a church described that I would want to be a part of. I read this and I'm like, I'm in. Show me where, sign me up. There's something utterly compelling about this brand new community, this brand new church, the first church, these first churches that were just springing up out of the life and, and the testimony and the stories that the disciples were telling of Jesus. The apostles were sharing about the life of Jesus. They were telling them firsthand accounts of what he did, what he said, what their lives were like as they followed him. And, and, and in this space, there was this amazing community, this compelling community that was springing up. So I wanted to quickly run through, don't panic, eight points, okay? Don't panic, right? I promise. Jason will give me signals if I go too long, okay? So we're, we're going to go through eight points really quickly from this passage. And as I say, super practical. I want us to look at how they did it, and I want us to think, well, what does that look like for us? What does that look like? And what, what is it that was so compelling there that we still need here now today in 2018? And the first point is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They're learning and reflecting on the scriptures. I've read this in the past, and I have thought, well, of course they were needing to know the apostles' teachings and immerse themselves in the way of Jesus because it was also brand new. Jesus' ministry was just three years old, and this was straight after Jesus had, had gone back to heaven and, and the apostles were left, and the day of Pentecost had happened, and this is all brand, brand, brand new for these new believers. So I'm thinking, of course they need to know. They need to be fully immersed and what these new teachings of Jesus were, what his life meant, they need to know all that. They, of course, daily, you would need to know exactly what it is. But if that's my only conclusion, that it was only important for them then, 2,000 years ago, as new believers in this new church to be fully immersed, then I am missing the life-changing force that knowing and living Scripture is. You see, to know and live out scripture can and does transform our lives. It is life-changing. Whose life here has been transformed by scripture? Mine has. Because I have encountered the God of scripture in the words. I have encountered Jesus and it is through him that he has changed my life. He has completely transformed my life. You see, I think today, 2,000 years later, we are still in need to know and live the Bible just as much as the early church did. And in fact, in my lifetime, I think never so much more so than in the last five years. Think about it. Before about five years ago, when did someone ever really question what you believed? The younger people in the room, 
maybe not five years ago, you've grown up in this. So what I'm talking about is current for you. You can't even remember a time when someone didn't question what you believed. See, when I first started working in the bank, I remember if I'd said to someone, I'm a Christian, they would have known what I meant by that. And they wouldn't really have questioned it. They may have said something like, okay, I respect that. That's your faith. It's not mine. It's not how I choose to live my life. But yeah, go for it. And there was an element of respect. There was an element of, there was certainly an element of understanding what that meant. And people kind of were like, yeah, that's okay. But I would say in the last five years, there's never been a time for me personally when, when I feel that I, and it's not that I need to defend my faith, but people are genuinely questioning what I believe and why I believe it. Would you agree? Society and the world we live in is changing at such a fast rate. And I think never more so, never more so than now, do I need to be clear and understand what is in this book. That we have an erosion of truth that is going on all around us in our society. But I want to know and I need to know what the truth of this word is. Otherwise, what am I standing on? What actually is my faith based on if I don't know the truth and if I am not immersed in his word? So I think it's so important that we become and and are devoted to scripture daily. Daily that we're reading it. Daily that we're we're longing to know more, not just the, the facts and the figures of this book, but the person and the author of this book. That we know who the God is that we're building our lives on. The world is changing at an incredible speed, but I want my solid ground, my foundation to be Jesus and only Jesus. He is our rock. He is our salvation. And the ways of knowing Jesus have not changed in 2,000 years. The only difference is we now have an individually printed book for ourselves. 2,000 years ago, it was all audible. Even right up until what, the 1600s, 15, 1600s, we didn't have a printed copy of Scripture. No one had their own individual copy. They were always relying on someone else to tell them what it said. What a gift we have. What an absolute privilege we have to have this book, to have these words that we can live our lives with, that we can devote ourselves to. You see, it's the Scripture that, it's through Scripture that the Holy Spirit reveals the truth of who God is And it's when that knowledge turns to a deep love and devotion that we begin to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. The second thing, fellowship. They're sharing a meal together. Church is around a table. Um, We have a wee laugh in our house whenever we hear the words, you know the three F's? Anybody, can anybody tell me what the the three F's in Christian circles are? No? Fun is number one. What's the second one? Food. And what's the third? Fellowship. Three Fs. Fun, food, and fellowship. So every now and again, if we see that advertised in anything, we have a wee giggle. We're going, there we go. Fun, food, and fellowship. Three Fs of Christianity. But actually, you can't get away with it. We can make fun of it. It sounds like a very old-fashioned word. But what it means is just sharing life together. And in this X2 church, we find that they're sharing a meal together. Churches around a table. And as they share a meal together, um, they these people become, they ate daily. Like, this was a brand new church, brand new time. A lot of these people came to Jerusalem for Pentecost or for the Passover 
experienced the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and never went home. So for many of them, the only people that they actually knew were this new found group of people who they had experienced God with. So every day, every day they met in their homes. Every day they met together. Now, I'm not asking us to do that, people. Let me just put that right out there because I'm saying about opening up my home and everything else, but I honestly don't. I, every day would be a stretch for me. Let me just be totally honest. So for those, some of you are going, whew, thank goodness for that. But every day they met together. And this is the ideal, but let's be realistic about it, okay? Let's, let's, not, let's not give ourselves such a big, big ideal or a big bar that we're like, ah, I can't do that. I'm not doing any of it. Some of us even struggle to just to get the inhabitants of our own house to eat together every day. Isn't that true? I mean, as, as our kids have got older and as they have their own lives and we now have five adults living in our house, it has become a military operation to try and organize and coordinate a meal. One meal. And sometimes it happens twice a week, to be honest, or sometimes three times a week. And then it's brilliant because sometimes they just bring extras. So I won't really know there's extras until I pull up outside the house and I see a car and I think, oh, okay, I hope I have enough chicken to do the extra one. <laughs> or I'll do the usual. How many mummies go with less? Hands up. Yeah, that's okay, isn't it? Just eat extra bread later. I just have extra toast before I go to bed. Whatever we have to do. But I love, it, it takes a lot to coordinate that. It takes a lot to organize these meals all together. Can you imagine if there's, if there's 40 of them? There was one day, there was hundreds of people came to know Jesus. I don't think they were all eating together. But you imagine that in different homes and different places. And there was some kind of coordination had to go on to make that happen and organized. This autumn, we are going to revamp our life groups. And uh, Jason's already was started to talk about this last week of what this looks like. And what we're asking, very simply, is we're asking that each of us would commit to eating together in a community group once a week for a nine-week term. Nine meals over nine weeks. One evening, morning, lunchtime, whatever the leaders decide that they want, when they want to host it, how it's going to work for the group, but that we would commit to one meal a week as a church family in these communities, these community groups, that we would just commit to eating together once a week. See, we have lost something in the church, in church history, Along the way, we lost something when it became about rows and not about circles. It's easy to come into a row, slip in, and slip out. It's easy to be lonely in a row. It's not so easy to be lonely in a circle. I'm not saying it's impossible. It's impossible to be lonely. It's possible to be lonely anywhere, but it's much harder to be lonely in a circle than it is in a row. We really want us to reclaim the fellowship of Acts 2 here at VCD. Number three, to the breaking of bread and prayers, they took communion together. Um, can I recommend Jason's talk from a couple of weeks ago on the table around the whole area of, com of communion, the Eucharist, the table. I just thought the teaching was so really, really super helpful for me anyway. I, th I thought it was great. 
And I can I encourage you, if you haven't heard that already, to listen to it, maybe to listen to it again. But just like the guys of Acts 2, they weekly, weekly we want to eat together. And when we come together to eat a meal together, we also want to celebrate communion together. And for me, at the simplest point, this is just simply inviting Jesus to come and sit at the table. What we're saying is when we take communion and remember him and what he has done for us and all that he is, what we're saying is it's like we're clearing a space and we're saying, Jesus, will you come and will you sit with us? Because it's all about his presence. It's Jesus who really is the feast. We want to focus our minds and our hearts around Jesus, who he is. We want to become like him. We want to learn through practices and ancient ways in the church of how we can be in his presence and then how he can transform us to become more like him and to do the things he did. Number four, the other thing was they were, all it says, all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done among the apostles. The fourth thing that I would love to see and, and what we see in this Acts 2 church is signs and wonders of the Holy Spirit are happening right here in the middle of this Acts 2 church. See, I think there's an expectancy that naturally builds when we gather around Scripture. We pray together and we pray for each other. That, you know, and God hears our prayers and as that happens, he begins to answer them and then we come back the next week and we begin to share lives with each other and we encourage each other and we say, you never guess what happened this week. And we begin to share the stories of how God has showed up in our lives. We get to share in the miraculous circumstances of how he has intervened in only ways that only he could. What are the signs and wonders and miracles? Well, they're they're miracles, they're prophecy, they're lives transformed. As I say, it's God showing up in your life in ways that only he could be blamed in supernatural encounters. See, sometimes God is at work in our lives and it's like we're, we're not even really fully aware that it's him. Has this ever happened to you? Sometimes it's only when I'm retelling back someone a story and as I hear myself saying it, something, it's the penny drops and I think, oh, hold on a minute. Or I'm even slower than that again. Sometimes I'm hearing someone else's story of how God has broken into their life, how they have encountered him that week, and then I'm sitting going, oh, hold on a minute. That happened to me. But I didn't know that was God. I had no idea that was him. I just thought that was a coincidence. I just thought that was just something that randomly happened. But as we share our stories together and, a, and as a sense of expectancy grows and as a sense of this, these communities grow and, and we are praying for each other and we're contending for each other, not just on that night, whatever night it is, whatever day it is, but throughout the week, we're contending for each other. One of us is struggling, one of us is sick, one of us is facing terrible difficulties in our lives and we're like, we are not letting this go. We are going to pray for our brother and sister. We are going to see God move that mountain like we sang this morning. We're going to see him move the mountain. I long for us to see these signs and wonders of the Holy Spirit break out among us. But I think sometimes we have been so caught up in seeing it outside the church which is wonderful and brilliant and I never want to stop us to ever stop doing that but I want to see it here I want to see God miraculously poured out in supernatural ways in your lives number five and all who believed were together and had all things in common they share all that they have with one another 
And this is simply illustrated in the meal, but that's only the beginning. One person brings this, another person brings that. And everyone contributes to life together. Everyone contributes to this meal together. And I love that in this picture of Acts 2. Everybody shares. It says, they, they all who believe were together and had all things in common. They just brought whatever they had. It's not the host job to provide everything. This is a family meal. Everyone brings something. I'll be honest and confess. I feel like I'm confessing this morning a lot, okay? Just bear with me. Thank you for your patience. But this is the part that I find the hardest. You see, this is the bit where I have to let go control and force myself to just be casual. You see, so much of our lives these days are, are lived through social media, and we, we think that we have to have this. Before we can invite someone over for a meal, before we can have a meal, it has to be Instagram-ready. Do you know what I mean by that? Do you know we have to rearrange everything? Jason cracks up on me sometimes when I'm out for something to eat. I like to rearrange the table and everything before I take the picture, just so that you can see it all properly and everything else. This isn't the type of meal that we're talking about here. This meal in Acts 2 is just, it's family. It's family. It's just as easy, and well, it, they probably didn't have takeaway in that those days. I don't know, I can't even, my, my, 2018 mind cannot compute what takeaway would look like in 2000, in 2000 years ago, so I'm not going to try. But it's just as easy for us could be, let's just order Chinese and everybody pays for their own sort of thing. But I, my confession is so many times I feel like I have to have this Nigella, Gordon or Jamie three-course meal all ready, all coordinated with matching wine sometimes. And over the years, the pressure of this, the pressure to put on this thing just meant that I just thought, I can't do that. I can't do that. It's too difficult. It's too hard. It's too much pressure. See, this meal, this Acts 2 meal, the food isn't the star. It's not the food. It's the people around the table that are the main attraction. It's the environment that we create. It's the space. It's, hospitality is not entertainment. Hospitality is about making people feel welcome, making people feel at home. It's about thinking about, oh, I wonder what, maybe they don't like that. Okay, I won't make, make that tonight. I'm going to make something else. It's about sharing. It's, about, it's just about this idea that we are a family and we are for each other and we just want to come and eat together around this table because we want to share life more than we want to share the food. When people are coming over to my house and I've invited them, my, they would say, what, do you, what can I bring? Which is a wonderful thing in Northern Irish hospitality. Please don't take it for granted. Honestly, I've traveled to other countries and it's not quite the same. We are incredibly hospitable people. I am speaking to the choir this morning. But how many times have you, have someone invited, you've invited someone to your house and the first thing you get in the tax back is what can I bring? Not true? Well, here was what my answer used to be. Nothing, just bring yourself right? <laughs> Which is incredibly hospitable on one hand. But here's what I realized. You see, as I started to get messages back like that, and someone would say to me, bring a dessert, bring a salad, bring bread, bring something. It meant that I came already feeling that I was going to participate in the meal, not just spectate. And this meal in Acts 2, there was no spectators. There were only participants. 
See, that's where we're heading to, people. That's where we're going. This is brothers and sisters. This is family. We wouldn't think twice of asking our family to bring something, would we? And this is what it is. It's this shared thing, this shared food. And I'm going to stop talking about this because I could talk about this all day long. This is me in my sweet place. But it is not about being a spectacle. It is all about participation. Everyone equal. Everyone participating. And let people do your dishes. That's okay too. Let them do your dishes. (laughs) Number six. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. In Acts 2 church, needs were met. And we can read this passage. And I have as well before. And, and sometimes I read that wee bit and I think, wow, that's the first food bank that we can think of in church. That's the first example of like a compassion ministry set up right there. People's needs were being met every day. As somebody needed something, it was provided for and it was sorted out. But if we read this and we think only of a program, then we are missing so much more than what's in here and behind the surface. Because if we read this and we think, oh, we're already doing that with Reach. Brilliant. Box ticked. As a church, we're doing that and it's fantastic. What we do in Reach week on week, year on year is amazing that we are able to provide food. If you look in those cupboards down there, you've my permission, Jason, they won't mess them up. You've my permission to go and open those cupboards down there and see the food that we're able to provide for families every week, families and individuals in crisis. We're able to provide food, clothes, sometimes furniture and all those things. And that is so important. That is so important that we do that. But this is more than that. This is about brothers and sisters providing needs for each other. It's not just for the outside of the church, which we are so good at church. Vineyard Church in Gannon, you guys are amazing at this. You're amazing at this. Absolutely amazing. Not just the people that come into reach. I know you do it all over the place. If you see someone in need, you meet that need. Absolutely fantastic. But this is about us coming as a, as a church, as a family that we would give to each other. But you see, this level, you see, I know... I know this about you guys, because I'm in the know. But you guys pay bills for people. I know you do that. It's the type of church you are. You see someone in need, you meet the need. You don't look to see if someone's watching. You don't look to see if anybody else know about it. You have paid people's bills. You've shown up to help in ways way beyond what anyone would ask you to do, and you are so good at this. If I was to describe Vineyard Church Dungana and to anybody, one of the ways I describe you guys is incredibly generous and compassionate, where you will go beyond what's normally expected to help people here in desperate need. That's who you are. But this table, this Acts 2 table, it requires two things. The willingness to help and Vineyard Church in Gannon, you have got that covered in spades, right? You are, you are experts in this. Here's the second part that I think the Lord is bringing us into that's a wee bit more tricky, is we need to be honest and vulnerable in sharing our needs. This is not just a table where we give. This is a table where we have to be prepared to receive. 
recently I was having a conversation with one of my friends and uh, we were chatting and we were going to look at, um, we were having coffee and then I said, hey, will you come to a charity shop with me? Because I'm, I'm looking at a wardrobe, a secondhand wardrobe for Caleb's bedroom and and they're like, oh, I great, because they like rummaging around secondhand shops as well. So we're, and we rummage around. And then she turns around to me. She says, hold on a minute. I have a wardrobe and a set of drawers sitting in my mum's house that I'm about to try and get rid of. Do you want it? I was like, absolutely. She says, do you want to see a picture? I says, no, no, I don't need to see a picture. <laughs> it's fine. It's, that sounds certainly fantastic to me. That'll do him great. Um, but I was just, that's, that's, like, that's like a surface thing, isn't it? It's easy for me to say to someone, I'm looking for a second-hand wardrobe. But here's where it gets more difficult for me, and I think for all of us, right? Is what if the need is deeper than that? What if for some of us it's, it's a case of, do you know, I don't know if I have enough money to put oil in my tank this winter to have heat on every day in my house for my children. Or what if... I just need someone to come and give me some practical help because I'm feeling overwhelmed and I'm finding everyday life just a wee bit difficult right now. That's a harder need to ask, isn't it? But this Acts 2, people, this Acts 2 community, they went beyond the surface and they were going into the deep part. They were meeting each other's needs. And I think a big part of this is because daily they were meeting together around that table, looking at each other eye to eye face to face. They were sharing their lives with each other. They weren't just talking about, you know, the surface stuff. They were talking about the real life stuff. And one of the things that I long for for these new vineyard communities is it would be a safe place where we can honestly ask the question, how is your soul? Not how's your job? Not how's your children? Not how's your parents? Not how's your week doing, but how is your soul? How are you really doing? And that's when we begin to be able to meet each other's needs. Number seven, and they, they met day by day. They share life together. You see, it is this thing of this daily, like I'm saying, number six is very similar. Number seven, it's this, we, we have been adopted into the family of God. We are not reborn into an organization. We are born into a family, brothers and sisters. Now, I don't have any natural brothers and sisters. I'm an only child. Thank you, Jason. I know that's sarcastic all, but I appreciate it anyway, nonetheless. But I have always been fascinated by this level of relationship, probably because I don't have it. I'm fascinated. I love being around brothers and sisters. I love it. I just sit and watch them. I'm thinking, wow, this is amazing. Look at how they interact with each other. And this is like, there's this whole level of relationship that I've never entered into on a natural way. But because of that, I have found myself, I think because I'm fascinated by it, I find myself every now and again, when, especially when I was younger, I would get like adopted, unofficially adopted into people's families. And I would love it. There's one of my, my best friend growing up, and she had five brothers. And those boys were like my brothers. Oh my goodness. I mean, they just, they, oh, they're amazing, amazing, amazing part of my life. 
And you know, for some of you, when we talk about this layer of relationship, I realize I have an idealistic notion of what brothers and sisters should look like until I had my own three sons. And now I have a really realistic picture of what siblings actually look like living in my house. And it's not quite the picture I had conjured up in my mind. But I know that for some of you, when I talk about brothers and sisters, for some of you that is a wonderful experience and you can identify with that in the most healthy way right, of what I mean by that, that you will fight for each other, you will fight with each other, you will, you know, you will go the extra mile, you will do whatever it is because blood's thicker and water and all that stuff that we could talk about. But for some of you, when I talk about brothers and sisters and I talk about family, that is not your experience. And there's a brokenness in you that makes you want to go, no. Here's what I love about the church of Jesus Christ and this new family that he has adopted us all into, is that he gets to redeem that for you in this place. Just like for me, I haven't had brothers and sisters in the natural. I get to have all of you as my brothers and sisters. I get to have this layer of family that I never had in the natural, but I get to experience it and have it right here in this new family of God. And for you, you get to experience, hopefully in a healthy way, in a loving way, in a normal way, you get to experience what brothers and sisters look like. But to do that, we have to go beyond this surface life going deeper. See, never in our lives before, I think, has our lives ever been so much on display. But never has it been more difficult to be fully known. Do you know what I mean by that? Our lives are in public display. But I think the gap between that, our displayed lives, and our actual real, the depths of us, is getting growing more and more and more. And in in church, in this family, in this adopted place that God has brought us into, we want to close that gap. We want there to be no space between what our public and our surface lives are than our deep, deepest lives. And the last point. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. People were coming to Jesus, and here's why I think. People were attracted to this, this life of community like they'd never seen before. They're going, what is this? Who are these people who love like this, who share their lives, who share their stuff, who are there for each other? What a, I, we, we've, we, we've never seen anything like this before. What is this? Who are these people? And I think that these new apprentices of Jesus and us as apprentices of Jesus, this life, this compelling life of community that the X2 church displays to us and that is available to us is incredibly attractive and compelling. But it's not about us just adding more to our number. It's adding to his number. It's about us being transformed in these communities and these places and in our family and this adopted family of Jesus so that we reflect Jesus to the world and they cannot deny him. And they realize their need of them. Our dream is to see some of the same life, same family, same early church, day-to-day life together at work and in church. We, we long to see it. In this 21st century with cars and meetings and iPhones and reminders and beeps and 24-7 in demand and, and all that, for us, we want to, the central way we want to facilitate this kind of community life that we see in Acts 2 is through vineyard communities. One night a week, one morning, 
one lunchtime, whatever the time is. One, one meal a week for nine weeks. Our Vineyard Communities Family Dinners is a consistent time in the week in which Vineyard Community shares a meal together, life together, prays for one another, encourages one another, participates in mission together, and learns to practice the way of Jesus together. So what does it look like? What does it look like? Super practical. For all you people who are exactly like me and want to know exactly what it is I'm asking you to do. First, depending on the leaders and the hosts, it might be breakfast, lunch, or dinner. I'd love all three, please. I would like to be in a breakfast group, a lunch group, and a dinner group. Anyway, probably won't do that. Not be good for my current, supposed diet. Anyway, and it might be on any day during the week or the weekend. The hosts and the leaders of the group will set that, will put those together. The normal time frame, are you thinking, oh my goodness, it's going to last forever? No, it's going to be the same length of time as most of the life groups, about two hours maximum. Although every time we lead a group, we tend to be like shuffling people out the door at 11 o'clock, but we're not going to do that. Sure, we're not, JC. We're going to be very, very strict. Put people out before 11 o'clock, yeah, to come to my group. Everyone brings something for the meal. Everybody brings something. And that will be coordinated by the host. So every week, you don't come your arms one length. You'll find out the week before, there'll be a wee text going out saying, hey, you're on salad this week. You're on bread. You're on dessert. Woo-hoo, whatever. You eat together. We share scripture and intentional conversation together. We have communion. And we pray together and for each other. That's it. Who wouldn't want to come to that? So if you're interested in leading or hosting a VCD community group, we're actually going to meet here today at 4 o'clock between 4 and 6, and we're going to go through some more information in depth of what that would look like to be a host or a leader, and you're invited to come. Okay? Let me know at the end, just because I'm ordering up a wee bit of food for us, some snacks and stuff for us this evening, this afternoon. So if you are, do want to come, be part of that, look and find out more about hosting or leading, let me know, and you're very welcome to come along. And I am coming into land. Something happens when we share a meal with someone. Something sacred. Something deeply human. We're able to connect on a level that is different. This world is changing dramatically and at a supersonic speed. But there are age-old practices in the church that can prepare us to live our lives as apprentices of Jesus in it. It's Jason and I's job to create spaces for us all to nurture deep, deep, deep roots. See, when the storms come and your lives are shaken, I want to know that you're going to be able to stand. And I'm convinced that these thriving communities committed together and weekly around the table are a vital part to strengthening our roots. I am convinced of it. Getting 12 people or less, 8 to 12 people eating together under the same roof can be hard. But I have a feeling that this could be the beginning of something very sacred and beautiful in the life of Vineyard Church in Ghana. Would you stand with me?